0: Well, good morning, church. It's always a blessing for us to get to be together. Uh, I want to take just a moment uh, once again to thank the, the Griggs for not only being with us, but helping lead us uh, and, and just reminding us of the gift we have in community and in one another. And as great as it is that on this particular Sunday, we were able to celebrate literally around the same table together it's, it's something we need to hold on to, which is the truth that, that this church, both through the support of prayer, notes, uh, hosting people, going places, uh, in addition to all of that, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're together even when we're not together. Um, and that we gather together around that same table every Sunday morning. It's just that some of us happen to be here in Abilene and some of us are in San Antonio. And God knits us into a community where we get to hear stories. You know, I love the, the reminder to our children that when you give sacrificially, God takes what you give and multiplies it. And so I'm just, I'm always thankful to be reminded that of all the good that you and I know of there's always more good that we don't know about that we may not find out about until we're sitting around in heaven telling stories and i'm just thankful for that and i'm thankful for you too and for the ways that you let god work through you in the mission of god in san antonio I want to take a moment uh, to circle back to the family fun nights that we have in the summer And I just want to remind you that as this Wednesday night is coming up and they're always going to be from 6 to 8 on Wednesday nights, uh, we are intentionally trying to create a place where, first of all, you can feel like it's relatively easy for you to invite a friend or a neighbor or a coworker to just be around us. Now, I know there's certain ones of us you may not want them to meet on their first time, Maybe me. I don't know. But just to be around us, to share life with us, I think one of the obstacles at times for us to invite people to church is we know that someone who may not have much of a church background in their life, they're going to be forced to sit through a sermon they don't want to have to sit through. And as the guy who inflicts that suffering every week, I think it's important for us to have low risk, low threshold events that we can invite people to. So we are investing time and we are investing our finances as a church to create that space. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is don't let that go to waste. Invite people. The zoo is staying open special just for us. Right? It's free. You can invite anyone you want to be there. Invite them. I'm sure there's people in your neighborhood that would love a free trip to the zoo with less crowds. There's no sermon, I promise. I'm not going to get on the PA and, and try to sneak one in. Now what that does is that allows us to share life together to the point where there's going to be natural ways to invite people into deeper community. But it has to start somewhere. So don't write these off. I know in the summer we got a lot going on and we may feel like I don't I don't need one more thing to do or I wish that we were, you know, having traditional Bible classes at the building on Wednesday night because that's my comfort zone and I realize, you know, it's We're people of the word, but we need times to not only study about Jesus, we need times to try to be like Jesus. And he invited everyone to be around him and to share life with him. And so we need both, right? We need a balance. So I just want to encourage you, be praying for who you can invite to some of these fun nights. Be praying for who God might be nudging you, right? Just trying to prompt you to do that. Don't let these go to waste. We want to be a church that prioritizes connection in a world of disconnection. So let's, let's take advantage of these opportunities. Okay. And last, before uh, we, we open up God's word together in the sermon, I want us to take just a moment to remember uh, what we're celebrating tomorrow as a nation. right? Memorial Day. So it's Memorial Day weekend, and like every other holiday in our lives, it's easy to lose a connection to what it's really mostly about. It's not just about having you know a day off of work and uh, grilling in the backyard and spending time together. Those are all great things. But Memorial Day is a reminder that the current broken state of the world takes people away from us, that people have, have been in harm's way, that people choose at times to be in harm's way for the rest of us. And I don't know about you, but my heart aches for the grief and the sorrow that this day reminds us of, and my heart aches and longs for a future, for God's future, where we don't have to celebrate days like Memorial Day anymore because we are reunited and we get to be together in the presence of God. We're not there yet. And so we have moments like this where we, we want to remember. You know, and it's, it's it actually takes some work to ignore it in a world like ours. What a week. You know, we've we've got all that chaos happening half a world away, Ukraine and Russia and all the other countries that are being pulled into it. Uvalde. It's hard. It's hard to live in a world where we love people who we lose. And church is the place we're supposed to go when we're feeling that pain. And so we're in the right place this morning. Would you pray with me? God, we, we want to take a moment as our, our nation takes time this weekend to, to just remember the losses that so many of us are carrying. What we're so grateful for the people who choose to be at risk, who choose to be in harm's way. Because they believe and they're convinced that they are protecting us. And we thank you for the ways that that you honor those kinds of decisions, those kinds of commitments, God. But our hearts are also filled with people who we've lost. Maybe it wasn't so much a decision for them to be in harm's way, they just, they were. And God, we just long to be a community of people who hold on to your hope so that we can tell the truth of how bad it hurts. We can tell the truth of how much we wish things were different. And we can bring all of that, all of what we're feeling, we can bring it to you, and we can trust that you will bring healing grace. We thank you so much for the ways that you use us and one another's lives to be reminded of your self-giving love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our series this morning on the life of Joseph. And we're kind of at the place in the story where things are are really difficult and challenging. And if you have ever read or or watched a movie about or heard the story of of Joseph before, you know there's going to be a pretty amazing payoff. But before we get to that, we're in that middle place. And this is true in a lot of stories where there's a lot of struggle and there's a lot of difficulty and things aren't quite going the way we hope they will go. Things aren't already turning out. It's, it's a lot of difficult waiting. And, and that's been going on for a while, for a couple of chapters here in, in Genesis. And so I just want to quickly remind you of where we are in the story because things are about to, to make a turn. But so far, we basically have been watching Joseph from the time he was 17, and he was having these dreams about someday in the future, everyone in his family bowing down to him. And however he's interpreting those dreams at 17 years old, his family feels like it's a threat. It's not a good thing. They know him, and they they can guess what he would do with that kind of power over them, and it's not good news. And we've talked about the fact that those dreams will absolutely come true. It just won't be the same version of Joseph by the time they come true. And so he will have a moment where his entire family and their future... They're resting in the balance, and they're in his hands, and he can choose to do anything he wants to do because he has the power to do anything he wants to do. And it's going to turn out in ways none of them could have anticipated when he was just 17 years old. But in order for him to become that version of himself, the Christ-like version of himself, he's going to go through things that he would never choose to go through. And we've talked about the fact that it's it's also important for us to hold on to the truth that God allows Joseph to go through some really difficult things, but it's always because of other people's decision-making. It's other selfish people doing things that end up hurting Joseph and putting Joseph in prison. He's unfairly accused. He's there. He can't get out. All of these things are shaping him into someone who's more and more like Christ, But it's not that God is the one directly doing those things to Joseph. And that's important for us to hold on to because when we're going through times where we're suffering, when we're in that in-between part of our own life stories and we're wondering, where do we turn? Look, I want you to know whatever you're going through, don't ever think that God is working against you. God is for you. right? God is on your side. And whatever we're suffering through, whatever we're struggling with, we turn to God. Right, and so Joseph's wrestling with that, and, and he has a moment where he, he finds the, these two guys are in prison with him. They end up having dreams, and he's got this gift from God to interpret dreams, and so he does. One of them has dreams, and it's good news. One of them has dreams, it's bad news. And this chief wine steward, who ends up being delivered from prison, and his, his dreams promise that that's what's going to happen— Joseph says to him, remember me. When you're back in your position of influence and power with Pharaoh, remember me. But he doesn't remember him. He forgets him. And we talked about last week, for two years he forgets Joseph. And what did that have to do to Joseph? Right? So we talked about this idea that when we forget people, just like that chief wine steward forgets Joseph, we don't only run the risk of hurting their feelings— right or frustrating them we also run the risk of hurting their relationship with god because joseph had to be struggling for those 2 years to think look you gave me this opportunity to interpret some dreams for this guy he's in a position of influence and power why aren't you why are you causing him to do what i asked him to do god Why aren't you intervening? And I think that's one of the key questions throughout this story, and it is one of those those things that, again, we it's a heart cry. Why aren't you doing something? Even if you're not the one doing it to me, why aren't you stopping it? Why aren't you changing things? This is a good reminder, brothers and sisters, that the Bible doesn't just tell us the truth of what happened. The Bible tells us the truth of what still happens. We've been there where Joseph is wondering. Right? And we've also been in the lives of people who are like Joseph. And they need, somebody, they need somebody to remember them so that they can understand that God still remembers them. Even in the midst of things not going the way they want it to go, that God remembers them. And so we talked about the other side of this lesson, right? That when we remember people in their darkest moments, we don't only make them feel seen and loved by us, but we can also help them feel seen and loved by God, Now, that was supposed to be the first two points of a three-point sermon last week, and I ran out of time. So, and I know, I'm sure you're shocked that I was able to expand my third point to a full sermon, but that's what we're doing. Okay, so. Finally, the wine steward, when it's in his best interest to remember Joseph's gift, when Pharaoh has a couple of dreams... And there's these seven healthy cows and they end up being devoured by seven sickly cows and there's these seven healthy uh, stalks of grain and they end up getting devoured by these sickly stalks of grain. He doesn't know what's going on. None of his servants or leaders or anyone can interpret the dream. And then the wine steward goes, oh, when this is to my advantage, hey, I remember a guy who was able to interpret these dreams. The moment he remembers them, Everything that Joseph's been waiting for starts to happen. Because Joseph, this this person comes in and says, hey, Pharaoh wants to meet with you. Get up. Get ready. This is the moment you've been waiting for. Okay? And that's the part we're going to read together now. This conversation that Joseph ends up having with Pharaoh. So Genesis 41, starting in verse 33. Now Pharaoh should find an intelligent, this is Joseph speaking, should find an intelligent, wise man and give him authority over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint administrators over the land and take one-fifth of all the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance, right? That's back to these dreams that he's been having. Seven healthy cows, seven healthy stocks of grain. They represent seven years of overabundance, right? So Joseph says, take advantage of that verse 35 During the good years that are coming they should collect all the such food and store the grain under Pharaoh's control protecting the food in the cities this food will be reserved for the seven years of famine right again back to the dreams the sickly cows the sickly ears of grain that that then that they'll be reserved for those years so that the land won't be ravaged by the famine this advice seemed wise to Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man with more God given gifts than this one? Now hold on a second, just remember, it's not like Pharaoh up until this moment has worshiped Joseph's God. Pharaoh thinks he is a God. Right? So this is a key moment where Pharaoh says, I recognize something, I recognize the power. And a giftedness that I don't understand. But I see that it's there. Can we find a man with more God-given gifts than this one? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all of this known to you, no one is as intelligent and wise as you are. Now there's a bunch of people in that room who think they're the smartest guy in the room. Right? So that could have been easy to hear. It gets worse. You'll be in charge of my kingdom and all my people will obey your command. You said what? Right, the people listening are like, what's, going, what's happening here? Only as the enthroned king will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, know this, I've given you authority over the entire land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He dressed him in linen clothes and he put a gold necklace around his neck. He put Joseph on the chariot of his second in command. There already was a second in command. How do you think that guy's feeling right about now? Here, give me the keys to your car. Thanks. Right? And everyone in front of him cried out, attention. So Pharaoh installed him over the entire land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. No one will do anything or go anywhere in all the land of Egypt without your permission. Now the 17-year-old version of Joseph would have taken that car and wrecked it. Right, He would have taken this opportunity and he would have made it about himself. But this is a different Joseph we're dealing with here. Now, I want us to pay attention to somebody that maybe when we started thinking about this scene unfolding, we wouldn't have necessarily thought, well, I want to imitate that guy. But I want us, for the rest of this morning, to think about, as shocking as it is that it's Pharaoh, he does some really important things here. That I want us to think about, okay, what would it be like for us to respond to a moment like this the way he does. And the key thing that I want us to, to at least wrestle with is this idea of we have these moments where we may come across someone else's God-given gift. And maybe we didn't know it was coming. We didn't know it was, it was there. But then suddenly we're with somebody and an opportunity opens up and they, they step into that moment and we see it for the first time. And we've got a choice when we see it for the first time. We can admit that we've seen it. Or we can act like we haven't seen it. And keep going on with business as usual. Pharaoh stops. And says, wait a minute. This is different. Right? This is coming from a place that's beyond anything that I understand. So, like Pharaoh, right? I think, I think all of us could say that when we discover someone's God-given gifts, we should do everything we possibly can to give them chances to use those gifts. No matter who they are, no matter what kind of background they have, it doesn't matter if they went to the right schools or if they've read the right books or if they have the right pedigree, If somebody shows a giftedness for something, the first confession I think you and I need to make as people of faith is, we know where those kinds of gifts come from. They come from God. And if somebody is able to do something, we need to do everything in our power to get out of their way and let them do it. And this is always risky. Right? This is always going to be something where, we come to a moment and we say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to let this person who has shown some potential here, I'm going to let them have this task or I'm going to give them this project. Or, and, and this is true, by the way, this is true in families. Moments like this happen in families, happens at work, happens at school, happens at church. We have these moments where we realize somebody is able to do something and we didn't know it. Are we rearranging everything we possibly can? Are we getting the obstacles out of the way to say, why don't you try that again? I mean, Joseph's done these kinds of things at a much smaller scale, right? He's managed Potiphar's household, and he's done it well. He's even become important to the warden of the prison, and he's done some great administrative work there. But that's nothing compared to running the entire nation of Egypt from an economic standpoint for the next 14 years. Pharaoh says, ah, I'm going to do this. And so one of the things that I, I want us to, to come to together, right, is the realization that it always takes trust to give someone a chance. To trust That those gifts really do come from God. To trust that even though they might make a mistake, well, by the way, since they're human beings, they will make a mistake. That it's still the right thing to do to say, you know what? Why don't you see how partnering together with God, you might be able to to help us as a church, or help us as a family, or help us at work, why don't you see how well you can do? You know, I I think it's tempting to read a story like this and just only apply it to church, which, by the way, we need to apply it to church, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But none of these jobs that Pharaoh's just given Joseph are churchy jobs. Right? He's... He's the second most important person in the entire nation. He's going to run everything from top to bottom. Pharaoh says it over and over again. I think partly because he knows people are going to be tempted to not listen to Joseph. So he keeps saying over and over, this guy has all the power other than me. He's got all the power left in Egypt. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. You know, I think too often in trying to protect institutions In trying to make sure that the way things are going, that we don't lose any ground, sometimes the people who are already running things are too afraid to share any of that power and that influence. And it's holding on, it's having a death grip, right, onto power and influence. Those of us who are, I'll just talk about myself, I'm not as young as I used to be. And I feel more and more, like when I was young, it annoyed me that all the old people got to make all the decisions, and I thought I knew better. And now that I'm an older guy, I'm thinking, I'm not going to let the kids do that. (laughs) Like somewhere in there, i switch sides of the table. What would it mean for us to have families, to be coworkers, to be church members who say, you know what? The people who are currently doing things are doing the best they can. But God always finds ways to raise people up. And we want, to, we want to partner with God in giving those people an opportunity. You know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And then you and I could populate that list. I, I'm good at making up worst case scenario lists. Here's the worst thing that could happen. We never give our younger people a chance and they leave. And I, I'm nervous to give them a chance. But that's my lack of faith. It's not God's lack of gifting. So here's what I, I want us to, to embrace. And it doesn't come to me as naturally as the idea. I, I realize it takes trust to give someone a chance. Here's the other thing it takes. It takes wisdom. This is far from my first time to be in various church situations or challenges or obstacles. When I think about our family life together, we tend to have the same types of of situations we get thrown into where we have to make decisions together as a family. When I, I think about those of you who who have given your lives to different career pursuits and sometimes you're in the room where the decisions get made and sometimes you're not allowed to be in the room where the decisions get made and many times you think I could have made a much better decision if they just talked to me. It shows wisdom to realize that I have blind spots. That whatever it is I'm good at, there's some other things I'm really not good at. You know, I don't know what Pharaoh was good at. I'll tell you what he wasn't good at, interpreting his own dreams. And I'm guessing there were plenty of people in Pharaoh's government who thought they were good at all the things he was going to let Joseph take a swing at. And I'm serious. I I have to believe there were people who were so overcome with jealousy and frustration, the second in command, for instance, who started immediately plotting how they were going to get rid of Joseph so they could get back to where they were. None of this is easy, but it shows a deeply, I think, Holy Spirit-infused wisdom, especially within the life of the church or as people of faith to say, you know what, I know that in giving someone else a chance to do something, that they might do it differently than I would. And couldn't that be incredible? See, I tend to think if you do it differently than I would, then that's a mistake. How did, I ever, how did I ever get that confident? Like I'm fully aware of some of my shortcomings, and then others of you are fully aware of my other shortcomings that I don't know about. Right? What kind of church would we be if a small handful of people just kept insisting, I know better. I see better. I see farther. I see clearer. I'm the one. I worked hard to get here. I don't care that you have a gifting. I deserve it. Man, I want to be a church where when you show that you have a passion to do something that reminds me of Jesus, I find the way to get you the resources to do more of it. And I get out of your way. And I pray for you, but I get out of your way. I don't want us to view our eldership, and I'm in eldership meetings. Every single one I can go to. And I'm telling you now, this eldership that we have as a church, we want to be an eldership that empowers you to do things that you feel like God is calling you to do. We don't want you to see us as some sort of permission-granting, infallible group of people at the top who have earned our way there, and you don't bring anything new to the table that we're willing to listen to. Now, by the way, everybody has a bad moment, And There may be times when we as leaders slip into bad behavior, but I'm telling you, I know the heart of this church. I know the heart of this leadership, and I'm telling you, we've been praying for, we've been praying about, we've been seeking God's will to say, how do we get out of the way of the next generation so that they don't believe they're the church of tomorrow, but they believe this is their church right now? You know what's killing the church all over North America? Is young people are leaving. And I'm convinced it's because we don't think they have anything to offer or we treat them that way. Shame on us. If God's going to do a new thing, you know what he typically does? He does it through a new person. A person we didn't see coming. And I'm so thankful that we've taken steps as a church to get out of the way of giftedness. To say, you know what, if you're good at this, we want to let you try it. And yeah, that may mean at some point, I hope it means at some point, that I start helping invest my life into younger people who have been given the gift of proclaiming the word, and I, I walk alongside of them, and then I actually give them a chance. And you know the worst thing that could happen? You have a few nervous people trying to preach. I do that every week. (laughs) And you give me the hospitality of trying again. I'm sure there's weeks you pull up and you think, man, I hope this goes better than last Sunday. The worst thing could be that someone's going to drop communion elements. And I have nightmares of dropping the fruit of the vine everywhere. Even just sitting in the row, I get nervous about that, right? Those are just a couple of things that we could start with on Sunday mornings, right? But there's so many other ways in the life of our church we need to figure out how to let God do a new thing through a new someone. It's going to take trust, but it comes from a place of wisdom. If we want a future, we got to get out of the way. Can we find the courage to do that? Can we find a way to relax, to calm down, to lean in to the everlasting arms of Christ and say, this was never my church anyway. It's always been yours. It's always belonged to you. And it will be doing just fine when I'm long gone. I want us to share the future we're building together. And I hope you want the same thing. We're going to sing together now. And and as we do, I want you to be thinking about someone in your life who you can watch, or maybe you've already been watching them, and you see that they have a God-given gift for something. And again, it may not just be at church. It may be within a work context or school or a sports team that you play on or it may be your family. Whatever it is, you see something in them that you know is from God and I wanna challenge you this week, speak hope into them over that gift. Say, I see that. I see that you're able to do this and I'm gonna be praying that God gives you more opportunities to do it and I'm gonna do everything I can to help open up the door for you. I'm proud of you. I want us to speak that kind of hope into one another. It's the hope of the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to all of us. So let's share it. Let's stand and sing.